So today, our message is kind of a part two from last Sunday's message. And we, a few weeks ago, unveiled LifeWay's new mission, vision, and culture statement. We're kind of tying it all together as a mission, vision, and culture of LifeWay Church, Kingdom Come. And we take that from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And two weeks ago, we talked about the reality that the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. The realities of the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power, amen? That the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so we have the kingdom living within us. Every step that we take, every place that we go, the kingdom goes with us because the kingdom is within us. Last week, we really zoned in on the fact that we are dead to sin, to die no more. We are alive in Christ. And this was a portion of our theme passage of scripture from last Sunday, Romans 6 Verses 12 through 14, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Amen? For sin has no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. We did this a few weeks ago, and I feel like we need to do it again to remind ourselves of the authority and power that we have. I want you to repeat after me. I am a weapon of righteousness in the hands of God to remind the devil of the bad day he's about to have. That is who we are. That is the authority we carry as sons and daughters. Time to remind the devil that he's, he's going to have some bad days. He thinks he's winning. But Jesus is on the throne, and what the enemy intended for evil, he is turning for the good. Speak life in Jesus' name. We need to give credit today. Um, I forgot to do this last Sunday, so I apologize, but Leslie and I are continually investing in ourselves and, and reading and trying to um, just fill ourselves up with truth in the gospel. And aside from just the scripture that we read, we read, well, okay, I'm not going to say I read many books, but I read some books sometimes. Um, I do not uh, claim to be an avid reader, although I would love to be. But um, a book that we just finished together is called Apprehended Identity, and it's by Chris Gore. And within this book, there was a chapter that he actually took from another pastor's book and put into his book because it was so good. And this pastor's name is Mark Greenwood. He's a pastor in Australia, 
And we read this chapter, and so the premise for much of what we are talking about last Sunday and today is coming from this chapter. If you're interested in this book or in Mark, Pastor Mark Greenwood's book, Awake to Righteousness, let us know, um, because they are transforming our lives and our understanding of the gospel and of righteousness and what it means. So um, just need to give credit to him, because part of that material we're using in these messages So last Sunday, we said that throughout the book of Romans, the word sin, the verb sin, so as an action, something that you are doing, is used twice, where the noun sin as a personified force, right, a noun, if we all go back to elementary school, a noun is what? A person, place, or thing, exactly. And so the noun sin is used 46 times throughout the book of Romans. Sin is a personality. It's an independent power. It's not just the actions that we do, but is an external personified force in this world. We see in Genesis chapter four, verse seven, when God is speaking to Cain, he says, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. If sin is just a verb, how can it be crouching at your door? How can it have desires that are contrary to our desires as believers in Jesus? I love the King James Version. It says, he is crouching and you will have authority over him. Many believers, we see sin as um, an internal reality. We believe we still have some sin living on the inside of us as new creations in Christ. And because we believe there's still some sin living within us that we battle against on a daily basis, we view God as distant and unattainable, that he's far out there, that he is external. Sin is internal, God is external. When in fact, it's the exact opposite. As believers in Jesus, right, we have been crucified, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. John Haney, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the sin is gone, the sin nature is gone. Behold, all things are new. Your sin was crucified, co-crucified with Jesus on the cross. You no longer have a sin nature. You have been made new. You have been reborn, body, soul, and spirit. Grace has done an incredible work in your entire being. So your natural desire to sin, your sin nature, the flesh, the old man, whatever you want to call it, church, it's gone. You don't have a sin nature anymore in Jesus. You crucified it with him on the cross. It's gone I love this verse. We didn't use this last week, but I, last week, but I wanted to throw it in for today because it's so powerful. Galatians 2, uh, 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The passions and desires of your sinful nature are hanging on the cross of Christ. And you've crucified them there. They no longer have authority in your life. Your sin nature no longer has authority in your life anymore. This may sound too good to be true, 
And without Jesus, it is too good to be true. But in him, we live and we move and we have our being, our new being in Christ. Matthew 16, Jesus has given us all authority over the enemy. He looks at Peter and he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom to bind on earth that which is bound in heaven and to loose on earth that which is loosed in heaven. We have that authority. You have that authority. We need to take hold of that authority over the enemy and over sin. Leslie read this last week and it was so powerful. Sin was not suppressed by the cross. It was eliminated. Sin was not suppressed by the cross. It was eliminated. What a powerful reality. So the question therefore remains, if I am no longer a sinner, why can I still sin? And so we're going to Look that question straight in the eyes, and we are going to show you this morning how sin is still, sin still exists in this world, but it has no authority over us. It has no power over it. The only power the enemy has is the power you let him have, because you have been given all authority. So today... We're gonna answer that question because I know it's probably been on many of your minds. If I am no longer a sinner, you're not a sinner anymore. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Why can I still sin? You are the righteousness of Christ. This isn't Travis and Leslie's message. This isn't Mark Greenwood's message. This isn't Chris Gore's message. This is the gospel of Jesus. What I love is all of these verses <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can write them all down, but we're thinking about putting them on our church app so that you can access them throughout the week because I want to sit with them. I want to chew on the word. I want to be transformed by the word of God and the renewing of my mind. You see, what we are walking in, if I'm not a sinner anymore, then why can I still sin? It starts here. The deception starts in the ground of the mind. And if he can get your mind to obey sin, then your heart is turned away from God and is deceived into living in death rather than in life when you, that's not your nature anymore. The enemy wants you to believe that you still have that nature as a part of you somewhere deep down. The old is gone. The new has come. I love that verse that I read earlier, stop tending the grave. We are not grave tenders. Get away. Close the door is how we put it last week. And I want to read to you Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think that's the NIV and there's the ESV. 
Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to believe what has happened in your heart, spirit, soul, that you are saved, that you are free indeed, that you were bought with a price. And so today we want to dismantle any lies that the enemy has embedded in you, that he's whispered to you, starting with the law, uh, the, the, the lie of striving. As new creations in Christ, sin has no power over us except externally by two ways. Number one, our striving to be good. How many of you have ever striven to be good enough for God? Come on, we need to be among friends here. Raise your hand higher. Have you ever striven in your walk with Christ and said, I have got to do this. I've got to serve here. I've got to go there. I've got to do that. I've got to look like this. I've got to make this decision. I can't do that because then I'll, I'll be sinning. I can't do this. I have to follow all the rules. And we get so caught up in the law that we lose Jesus and the completion and the work on the cross. You are dead to strive no more. And it is in the battleground of the mind that we have to believe that we are free indeed. We are his righteousness. He has made us new creations. It's finished. It's finished. Stop trying to cook dinner when dinner's already done. I like that. The gospel is not a behavior management program. What? Okay, so I'm gonna jump back in history a little bit. I've, I've watched and learned from my family and their stories that they tell about where the church has been in the last couple of centuries. And we've created, you know, we have the, the, the law of God, which is holy and just, the 10 commandments. But we've taken it and said, well, in order to not break those 10 commandments, we have to avoid this and we have to avoid that. It has gotten so far as to, you can't, um, go see movies. Do you guys remember that? You, you, uh, my mom grew up in the era where women don't wear pants or leather pants. <laughs> you don't gamble. Obviously, you don't gamble, but you don't like even play cards because cards are associated with gambling, so you avoid cards altogether. Anybody ever? Yeah. Women don't wear makeup, no dancing, no roller skating. I don't roller skate, but that's for a completely different reason. And see, we set up these rules as kind of like a hedge around us to say, if I avoid this and I avoid that and I avoid this and I, because I don't have enough self-control to not fall into sin if I'm in that scenario. You have the mind of Christ. You have his self-control. He was tempted in every way. That wasn't just a, a minor joke. He probably had thoughts come in that we wouldn't believe he ever had because he was tempted in every way. Where does temptation happen? In the battleground of the mind. So don't you think Jesus was tempted in every way? There may, may not have been pornography on a screen, but there were women around him. He was probably tempted. He could have had a homosexual thought. He could have had a thought of anger or rage. He could have had the temptation to conceive with sin, but did he? Who are you? You are as he is. 
So if he can stand against the lies, the deception of the devil to strive to be good enough, then so can you. We are not in a relationship of striving, of rule following. We are in a relationship of freedom. Amen? We feel like if there are no rules, things will be chaos so, and sin will be rampant. But the heavenly reality is that where there is a living, active relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, grace and freedom abound. Sin's power is vanquished in the life of a believer. Vanquished, exterminated, extinguished, kicked out, gone. But so sometimes we look at the law and we look like this, we, we, we shrink back into, I've got to obey, I've got to do this, I've got to serve him here, I've got to do this right every single time, I can't sin, I can't, and we put the law back around us and Jesus is like, I filled it, I fulfilled it, walk in me, not in the law, the law is holy and good. I want to read you some scriptures about the law. In Romans chapter seven, verse five, it says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The law reveals to us that we are sinners before Christ. But once we are in Christ, he has fulfilled the law, so we are now saints. We are now the righteousness of Christ. That's good news. Because we can never fulfill the perfect law of God on our own. That's why Christ came. That's why he gave everything so that we could live free. It's, and and if, you, if you live by the law, it's like, I mean, my three-year-old, if I sat her at the table and I put a chocolate chip cookie in front of her and I said, the rule is do not eat that cookie. You can smell it. You can stare at it, but do not eat that cookie. What does it arouse in her when she's sitting there staring at the cookie? A desire for the cookie. What does the law arouse in us? Do not go there. Do not sin like that. Do not do this. Do not do that. It, it helps us recognize I'm a sinner. And I have a desire for that. But Eliza May, she wouldn't last two seconds. <laughs> and neither would we. On our own. But if I say, Eliza, you can have that cookie after you recognize how much I love you and I want to give you that cookie, okay? We are loved by the God of the universe. And he didn't put the law in front of us to, to, to confuse us. His laws are holy. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. The law helps us recognize we're sinners. It's not bad. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We could never fulfill the law, but in Christ, the law is completely fulfilled. Therefore, we live free of the law and we live holy in Christ. Holy and holy. You are complete 
You are not a partial work of grace. You are a finished work of grace. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We don't live by the rules of the law hedging us in and that we have to be in Christ. The law is fulfilled. So this means that our reality is that when we're in him and we move in him and we have our being in him, we're naturally fulfilling the law. You're not going to murder somebody if you're in Christ. You're not going to hate if you're in Christ. You're not going to do the things you don't want to do anymore if you're in Christ. You are a new creation, and he is giving you victory over those things. Claim your victory. Shut the door. The battleground is in the mind, and the enemy wants you to be a house divided. Yes, I know Jesus is in me, but I'm still not good. I still do this, and I still do that. No, stop letting your heart and your mind be divided and stand in unity with Jesus and say, no, I have authority over this sin. Pornography, get out of my life. Alcoholism, I'm done with you. You name it. Lying, go. That is not who I am because that is not who he is. And I am his and he is mine. That is your reality. Romans 3.31 says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it, which means we fulfill it because we're in Christ, not because we're striving to be good. Don't let it get twisted in your mind. It's not about striving to do all the right things. You will naturally do the right thing when you're in Christ. It's your new nature. It's who you are. And you know what? There's so much rest there. Because you can strive and strive and strive and just be so internally messed up. And the Lord wants to take all of that confusion away. He said, I fulfilled all of this. Now focus on my son. Follow him. Let him transform your thinking. Matthew 5, 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. These are Jesus' words. The law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He completed it. It's finished. Stop striving for what's already yours. When we say we are no longer under the law, it's because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. Then, with the new covenant, made us completely like him. It's completely done. Sin aims to get you striving for what God already fulfilled in you by grace. Sin aims to get you striving for what God already fulfilled in you by grace. That's Mark Greenwood. There's no more striving to be good. You are good. Because he is good. That needs to be your new language. Amen? Oh, I forgot the quote. You're looking at me. (laughs) Wait, I got one more thing. Yes. Was half on one page and half on the other. The most obedient thing you can do as a New Testament son and daughter is to receive what the Father wants to give you. Ready for this? The only sin of the new covenant is trying to be justified by the old one. Galatians 2.18 says, I am only a sinner if I rebuild that system of the law that was already torn down. 
your good intentions in striving and trying actually condemn you under the new covenant. Woof. The only sin of the new covenant is trying to be justified by the old one. There is no striving in the life of a believer. It is not about figuring out how to not sin anymore, but looking sin in the face and knowing it does not have you anymore. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. True freedom, truly living the abundant life. In Jesus' name. So as new creations in Christ, Leslie already said this, sin only has power over us externally by two ways. Striving to be good and believing we are bad. So I get to drive this one home. Because we were born into sin, Chris Gore kind of illuminated this when he was here at the healing conference a few months ago. Do you realize that your sin is not what makes you a sinner? Whose sin makes you a sinner? Adam. For by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. There's no getting around it. We were born into sin. We were born with a sin nature. And because we were born into sin, it's so easy to believe the deception of the enemy that his temptations and his influence are actually our thoughts and our desires. Who has been there? You have a thought come through your mind. You have a desire for something and you think, I am so wretched, I am filthy, I am disgusting. How could I ever think something like that? How could I ever desire something like that? Anybody else but me ever been there? Yet, we know that in Christ, our hearts have been cleansed by faith. That's what the word says. Your heart has been cleansed by faith, and we have received the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us that. We have the mind of Christ. We have been transformed by the renewing of our minds. Before Christ, we could not control our ability to sin. It was outside of the realm of your control and outside of the realm of your power. You were born into sin, you had a sin nature, you could not control that, right? But now, grace has done a complete 180 in our lives, in our hearts and in our minds, to where our natural desire now is for holiness. Do you catch that? Grace has done a 180 in your heart and in your mind, to where now your natural inclination is holiness, and not sin, natural, not by striving, not by trying to think good thoughts and make yourself good enough and holy enough and pure enough. Listen to what I'm saying. Sin's deception is that these thoughts and these feelings are still originating from within us, leading us then to sin in our thoughts and in our actions. You guys tracking with me? But Paul says in Ephesians, that is not the way you learned Christ. 
Read this with me on the screens. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Leslie kept saying it's all about the mind, the battleground of the mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Your new self, your new nature is created in Christ in what? Righteousness and holiness. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are holy. We're not making this stuff up. This isn't just all oh, good thoughts and boy, this would be, you know, nice if. No, this is the gospel. The gospel has never changed. But the church over the years has kept people in bondage by continuing to preach the law that it's works, it's by what we do, it's our performance and not our relationship. But yet we have put on our new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Hear this this morning, sin's desires are deceitful, not defining. Sin's desires are deceitful, they do not define you. I have been renewed, we just read it, in the spirit of my mind. So I must recognize that every thought that comes across my brain did not originate with me. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you, know, you think something and you're like, where did that even come from? Like I wasn't even thinking in that direction and all of a sudden this thought just blasts you in the face. Or you have this desire, this emotion, and you're like, I, I, I don't even feel that way. Like, that's not even me. I know it's not me. We have been renewed. We have the mind of Christ. And because of that, we have to recognize that every thought that we have, every emotion that we have, is not ours. Sin is an external force. We talked about this last week with the armor of God. Why would you put on armor if the battle is internal? We use the word of God to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. They're coming at you. They're not within you. And every thought that you think, every desire that you have is not yours. In Christ, you are a new creation. And the temptations and the deception and the deceit, the lies of the enemy... They are those flaming arrows that he is firing at you to distract you into believing, I'm just a sinner. I'll, I'll never be good enough. If I believe sin is an internal force, I will spend my life trying to fight against myself to become pure. The law. If I believe sin is internal, I will spend my life at war within myself trying to be good trying to be pure, constantly fighting this inner struggle of sin, righteousness, sin, righteousness. When reality, 
I am already pure. I am holy. I am his righteousness. You're not pure because you stop thinking about sin. You are not pure because you stop thinking about sin. You're pure because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. It's not about just stop thinking about it. But he has made you new. He has forgiven you of all of your sins. Cast them as far as the east is from the west, remembering them no more. You're a new creation. Have we said that enough today? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in the light through intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what does light do? Reveals what's in the darkness, right? You are the light of the world. You have the light of the world living within you. And the more you find yourself in a place of intimacy with the Father, the tactics of the enemy are brought into the light. They're exposed. You can see them more clearly because the light is revealing what is in the darkness. It's exposing the warfare of the enemy and his deceptions. Let me clarify something because this is important and I found myself here and probably every person in this room has at one point in time found themselves here. It is not a sin to feel tempted. If it was, Jesus could have never gone to the cross on our behalf. Because as Leslie said, Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. The word says that. It is not a sin to feel temptation. It is a sin to obey temptation. Adam and Eve, created with no sin nature, conceded to the external temptation of the enemy, and they gave birth to sin, which led to death. As empowered believers, who in this house today is an empowered believer in Jesus? Raise your hand. As empowered believers in Christ, guess what you can't say anymore? The devil made me do it. <laughs> right? That's, you can't use that excuse anymore. You can't blame the enemy for our sin. I can't blame him for my sin when we stumble. You ever think about this? In Genesis, God held Satan responsible for his deception, but he also held Adam and Eve responsible for their sin. The enemy's tactic, though, when we face temptation, anyone else in here ever face temptation? The enemy's tactic, though, in temptation is trying to cause guilt and shame. Because guilt and shame, what do they do? They keep us from intimacy. And that is where true freedom is found, in intimacy. Think about this. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy, what was his source of strength against the enemy's accusations? You sure? Was it the word? It's, it reminds me of, if you've seen The Chosen, we've been talking about it a lot. When Nicodemus goes in to perform an exorcism on 
Mary Magdalene. Now, this is all creative license, okay? This is not in scripture, but it's such a good example. Nicodemus walks into the room where a demon-possessed Mary Magdalene sits. And what is Nicodemus doing? He's quoting scripture. And Mary looks at him and she says, who are you? You hold no power here, teacher. But he was quoting scripture. Now, I'm not saying don't do that. That is essential, yes. But what had just happened prior? Jesus was baptized, and he heard the voice of the Father say what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He still had that ringing in his ears. It's revelation, the word, married with relationship. It has to be both. Memorize as many Bible verses as you want, but if you don't have an active relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. He is the word, absolutely. It has to be both. Something else that kind of blew my mind, Jesus, he was not born with perfect revelation. The Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He learned just like we learn. It is so vital, guys, that we find ourselves daily in a place of intimacy with the Father, not just a segmented moment in our day, but that we live continually in his presence as Jesus did. Then, when we come against the enemy with the word of God, we're saying it from a source of this is who I am. It's not just about what I know, because I am living in the promises. I have him on the inside of me. His word is alive in me. That's when the scripture holds its power. That's when you can use it against the enemy and he will flee from you. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But relationship, intimacy is the key. Jesus experienced every form of temptation we did, we do, yet was without sin. And we are, Leslie said this, as he is in this world. If there is no other scripture in the Bible that blows your mind, 1 John 4, 17 should. As he is, so are we in this world. Everything that you are, that's the foundation. You are as he is. You are his righteousness. You are a new creation. You have him living within you, the Holy Spirit. And everything we do, everything we think, everything we say should come from that place of identity. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. You guys excited? Do you believe this is who you are? This is who his church is because this changes everything. Stop allowing sin to have influence. Do not allow sin to reign in your mortal bodies, as Paul said, but come against the tactics of the enemy with the word of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit.
Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Let me leave you with one final question. Was Jesus, it's on the screens, was Jesus an example to follow or the exception to the rule? How many times did Jesus say, follow me, do as I do? Greater things you will do. Jesus was not an exception to the rule. He was fully human so that he could be the perfect example of who we are in him. We have been given the mind of Christ and all authority and power to stand against the schemes of the devil. All sin, all unrighteousness we have been cleansed from. And this is the gospel. It's good news, right? It is good news. It's not some unrealistic fantasy. This is who we are, and it's time we get it right. And we move forward in this identity as sons and daughters because when we do, watch out. Anything is possible. Revival and breakthrough, we will see it like we've never seen it before. And we will see our cities, our neighborhoods, our county, one for Jesus Christ. Amen? The enemy will do anything to shut up the church. including cause confusion within her. The truth is the truth, folks. Intimacy and the truth of the word of God married together births daughters and sons. I want to read to you a story, give you a little bit of a window into real life and what this looks like in real life when you're really struggling and you're having a moment, because we all do, but that I, I just want to clarify, you're not a sinner You're the righteousness of Christ. Listen to this. The title of this section is called Don't Eat the Garbage. I was prepping for a day of prayer and fasting. I did what I always do. I cleared my schedule, turned my phone off, and planned my hours of reading the word, journaling, praying, and enjoying intimacy with God. This is the joy of my life. I feel a deep satisfaction in being intentional to know the Father. Nothing will ever prove more valuable in our lives than this. Christine was set to go off to work for the day so I could have the whole day to be alone with my king. However, during the night, before my intentional day, I had a vivid, perverted sexual dream. I had not yet realized my inner man was not the issuing source of these dreams, feelings, and perversions. I awoke to a whole bevy of feelings, guilt, lust, temptation, and distraction, and evil desire. I knew enough of my identity to believe God had set me free from sin, at least theoretically. However, I still associated the dream and the feelings with some hidden corner of my nature that was still dark, still generating and craving such things. Rather than taking authority over my dream life and putting my mind on the truth about me, taking authority over my dream life and putting my mind on the truth about me, I'd identified by the dream and tried to fight against what I perceived were my desires. 
I subtly believed these were still somehow my desires, but having what felt like an equal desire to spend the day with the Lord, to know him and honor him. I fought the feelings of lust, tried to shake the dream off, and set out to pray and study scripture. Around midday, I realized I had spent most of my morning trying to give in to, trying not to give in to sin by struggling to ignore the strong feelings of lust. I was reading the Bible extra hard, more as a defense mechanism against sin than a launch pad for intimacy with my father. In my frustration, I had a real moment with God. God, I put this day aside to intentionally be with you. Half the day is gone now, and I feel I am really doing this, trying not to sin. All I'm really doing is trying not to sin. My eyes had been scanning scripture for hours, but my mind was primarily occupied with trying not to give myself to this lustful temptation I thought was mine. Many who read this will relate. You want to be with him, to honor him, to live pure, but those feelings are strong. It's difficult to perceive these temptations as an external enticement, especially if you have struggled with something like pornography for years, previously as a sinner with an inherent sinful disposition. Holy Spirit spoke to me in the, that frustrated moment. Clear as anything, what if it's not you? As he spoke, a sudden realization dropped into my heart. A divine clarity exposed the temptations as being completely separate to me. Like fiery darts being thrown at me rather than my desires from within me. Just like Jesus' temptation recorded in Luke 4 and Adam and Eve's in the garden, the enemy was trying to entice me into sin with these feelings and thoughts. I believed a lie that deep down in an undiscovered or unconverted facet of my nature beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit's regeneration, there was a perverted, perverted lustful desire I had not dealt with. A lie I still wanted to look at pornography almost as much as I wanted to know God. This thought alone was filling me with guilt even before I had given in to the temptation. In the past, this guilt then usually drove me to eventually give in, which caused me more, which caused more guilt and a cycle of sin. I struggled to be honest and intimate with the Father because I still define myself by the dream and the desires. The moment he spoke, though, scriptures rushed through my head about freedom from sin, verses that describe sin as an outside enticement before they become a personal conceived action. Scriptures about not letting sin reign in my mortal body, Romans 6, 12. And about the deceitful desires of sin and the devil, Genesis 1, 3 through 1 through 7, Luke 4, 1 through 13, Ephesians 22, 1 Peter 1, 14, Romans 6, 12, Hebrews 3, 13. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It clicked. I stopped trying to fight the feelings as though they were mine. Instead, I acknowledged out loud to the Father that my new nature did not want sin or lust anymore. I was a man of holiness and purity, clean in my mind and my heart, and there was only light within me, no darkness whatsoever. Immediately, the lie was exposed. The truth manifested, and the deceitful desire disappeared. Sin was aiming to rule me, but I ruled over it with the truth. 
setting my mind on things above where my true life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Let this sink in. The sin you have been battling for years that you can't seem to overcome was overcome by Jesus on the cross. There is a familiar feeling, a deceitful desire, or a wrong thought pattern trying to rule you. When you move from a place of expectation that you will always struggle with these desires to a place of determination to change your mind, to accept the truth. You can change your behavior and expose these temptations. When you recognize the ways of the enemy and do not define yourself by the desires anymore, they lose their ability to reign in your mortal body. Picture this, striving not to sin as a new creation is like really trying really hard not to chew garbage from the trash can. As a new creation, trying not to sin is like trying really hard not to chew garbage from the trash can. It becomes a lot easier when you realize and believe you are no longer, you no longer naturally like garbage. Then you can ignore it and walk free from it without fighting a perceived inner battle against something you don't want. Too many Christians are striving not to eat garbage because they think and feel they want to eat it. Who wants to eat garbage? You are a new creation. Your fundamental desire is for him, not sin. There is no longer a fundamental desire in you. Your new nature is not a, does not have a desire for sin anymore. Your new nature has a desire for him, his presence, his holiness, his righteousness, his word. You are free indeed. The old has gone, the new has come. And I love that story because it's real. The temptation came. He was really tempted. He was really battling with those, but he did not conceive with the sin. See, the sin knocks on the door, and when you open the door and you invite it in and say, fine, I'm, I'm guilty of it anyways. I'm full of shame. I was tempted. I, I might as well give in to it. Then you conceive. That's when it becomes sin. We stand holy, holy believers in Jesus Christ. I have the mind of Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Which means I have authority over any deception of the enemy. Praise God. Praise God. This is a journey with Jesus, and it's a good one. And it's full of joy. This morning, if you've been struggling... And the enemy's been knocking on the door. The Lord wants to speak over you your identity. He's not speaking over you saying, why are you even thinking that? You no good, rotten, ugh. No. He's speaking over you. Son, rise up. Daughter, <laughs> you are called and anointed. You are as my son is. Where is my son? He is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God. Where are you seated? 
What authority do you have? You are free indeed. He's calling out your identity. We've been on this track of speaking to your identity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not so that we can just be repetitive and be annoying, but so that it becomes a part of your language. So that when the enemy attacks, you drill him in the head with the truth of the word of God of who you are. You are free. And right now I speak in Jesus' name. Thought processes that are not from heaven be broken in Jesus' name. We use the power of your word, Jesus, and our intimacy with you as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we speak against the lies of the enemy that would try to keep us in bondage when we are free indeed. The bondage is gone. We are out of the grave. Sin, you have no rule. Goodbye. Father, I pray that this week you would increase our desire for you in such a deep, deep way, God, that as we walk, as we talk with you, God, you would reveal yourself in new and powerful ways through the power of your living word, through your son, Jesus, that we would follow him to his level of glory. And it's not about our performance. It's about our relationship. It's not about following rules. It's about literally just being in a relationship. And he delights over you, church. He delights over you, church. He delights over you. He looks at you with joy and he's excitement. He says, this is my church whom I love and who am I am well pleased. These are my daughters and my sons whom I love and I am well pleased. And I call you to move forward in authority. Bring heaven. <laughs> Bring heaven everywhere you go. I see there are some in the house that have something they're carrying, and the Lord wants you to take it off and lay it at his feet. You've been holding a box, whether it's sin or lies or deception, and you're, you've been holding on to it thinking it's a part of who you are, and you weren't created with it. He said, he said lay it on my altar and let my fire consume it. The battle is no longer yours. You're done. It's over. The addiction is gone. I'm rewiring your brain to think the way that I think. Allow me to. Lay it down. Let me consume it. Let me take it from you. It is not your identity anymore. Literally, I see if there's been a pornography addiction, he is literally rewiring your brain. The bondage of that evil is out of your mind. You have the mind of Christ. Praise God. The desire for cigarettes is going to be broken in Jesus' name. You will not smoke another cigarette another day. The nicotine addiction is gone. You have the mind of Christ. Your body is reborn in him, and so the addiction is gone. You are free indeed. If it's coffee, Jesus, break us of that addiction. We don't want to rely on anything that is not you. We don't want anything to fill us to make us have hope that it's not you. We don't need it to get through the day. We need you to get through the day. And we break any lies and we lay them on the altar and you consume them with fire and we are holy in your sight because of the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives. He paid a great price for your freedom. Walk in freedom who it's yours it's yours it's yours you are free you are free there are no more cravings in Jesus name the cravings are gone
You have a new nature. It's not you. It's not you. It's not who you are. It's outside of your body. You are full of his glorious light. You are fully redeemed. It is finished. We will repeat it. Repeat it, Lord, to our hearts and our minds over and over. You have done it. I pray that holiness and righteousness would pour out of us. <laughs> you are a holy and righteous church. You are saved and delivered and healed. Hallelujah. Grace that does not produce righteousness isn't grace. So when you're in him, what is going to be produced out of you is righteousness naturally. You don't have to force it. You don't have to strive. It's a natural result of recognizing Jesus is in me. The kingdom is in me. And I am his. And I am righteous. And I am holy. And I move from that place. Move from that place this week, church. Move from that place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go in the peace that passes all understanding. Speak in the love that overwhelms every hurt and pain. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, church. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a powerful week in the kingdom. In Jesus' name. <laughs>